the text spoken by the voices and the sound volume are exactly the same as in the original recording. Hello and welcome to a special programme on the importance of media literacy. The ability to understand and critically engage with media messages from radio, television and the internet and new mobile platforms is often referred to as media literacy. In our modern age of multi-channel, multi-platform electronic media, it's becoming increasingly important to be media literate. It involves examining the techniques, technologies and institutions involved in media production, being able to critically analyse media messages and recognising the role audiences play in making meaning from those messages. In addition, the UK media regulator Ofcom has a duty to promote media literacy. In this programme, we examine the idea of media literacy and look at its importance to citizens. As a case study, we'll look at the media coverage of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and more specifically, the Israeli invasion of Gaza in January 2009. We spoke to three people to find out more. Jackie Harrison, Professor of Public Communication and Head of the Department of Journalism Studies at the University of Sheffield. Hussein Karimboy, Film Programmer for the Sheffield Documentary Film Festival. And Mushir El Farah, Chair of the Sheffield Palestine Solidarity Campaign. We started off by asking these commentators about their thoughts on media literacy and how it relates to their own experience of the media. Jackie Harrison. Media literacy is actually ill-defined. There are many different versions of what media literacy is. In terms of what Ofcom is trying to do there, uh, Ofcom is actually looking at a a set of layers of media literacy. So on the one hand, accessing information implies a certain type of literacy, which means that really you can cope with the technology, that you know how to use an EPG, an electronic programme guide, that you can work the computer, that you can possibly... Um, you know, read off the screen and that kind of thing. And to understand is like a next layer down. And understanding doesn't imply that you critically engage with the content, but you broadly understand what's actually happening. And then they take it to a further layer, which is about analysis, um, creating communication, which is really a very active user of information, somebody who can look at what's on screen or um, watch a programme and really get to the bottom of what's going on there, be able to work out if the programme's perhaps misleading, what kind of values the programme is, 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 is actually um, promoting, um, who might have made the programme and for what, what purpose. And then even, even a deeper layer would be creating information yourself, which would make you a very active 
producer of materials. So there's many levels to the, the, the idea of media literacy. Monsieur Alfara. Anywhere, anywhere in the world, if you hear about, about something that you don't understand, you immediately shape a view, and this view could be right, it could be wrong, mostly it will be wrong, because you don't understand the, the background behind it. So media literacy is extremely important. Hussein Karimboy. Yeah, I think it's incredibly important. It's because you can get the same story from 10 different sources. Yeah. Um, and I'll give you an example is <clears throat> of a film that I saw last year at a, at a major film festival. That was a major film. Huge, huge story. And um, a blogger who doesn't write for a paper, doesn't write for a magazine, she writes for herself, has a massive viewership in the blogosphere. And she uh, claimed that she was on a, on a plane back from this festival to her hometown in America yeah. and had talked to someone on the plane who knew someone in the film and was saying, man, everything he was saying was completely uh-huh. wrong. It wasn't true. It was, it was fiction. He made it look like it was much more than it actually was. So she writes all the stuff on her blog going, well, I heard this and I heard that and I heard this. And that affected the film a lot. The film's yeah. credibility, the film's sales, the audienceship, it really affected her. Her This one little person living in bloody Florida somewhere saying these things really affected the film a lot. But as, as audience members, as readers, as consumers, we have to kind of go, you're not really a journalist. You don't have any sources to back this up with. You have no credibility to say, I talked to so-and-so, to say, well, this is true because I have a source to back it up with. You don't... It just, it just, it, we should be very, very critical of, of, of you know, people who blog all the time and yeah. without anything to lose, they can say whatever they want. How do we know what they're saying is actually true? I mean, that, that really affects, yeah, the film and the filmmaker, but it also affects our approach to a story. It affects our understanding of a story. I mean, I think now everyone's is, is, on, is on the whole Twitter phase. That's, that's a craze to go, like, yeah. everything I, I know is in one sentence long. Everything I know about this is, is that little grab. That's a very small bit of information to, to gain so much from you yeah. know so I, I mean we, yeah people have to be have to be savvy have to be have to be literate and be and be critical I mean especially now because you can get something on your phone on Twitter on Facebook whatever but you just got to keep in mind where does it come from if you can it's impossible to on the internet but if you can ask yourself that you may be better off and a bit less surprised if you're actually not very media literate but you've got a very very definite viewpoint and you're watching something that's objectively or impartially reported that then you as an individual in principle should have your uh, notions challenged you know instead of you sitting there comfortably with all your prejudices you're diff- hearing different viewpoints and different voices and that largely is what public service broadcasting was set up to do to allow a variety of voices to speak so that you you don't get stuck in just one, one you know, mindset. Well, mindset. It's, hard, it's hard to know. It's hard to look at something without being really, really trained to see where things have been, have been staged, have been recreated, if sound's been dumped over, if you just, I mean, even, even, even cuts are there to, cut, to cover up certain things that aren't really true. I would say in journalism there are, there are constructions that are, allow a journalist to claim that he or she is reporting objectively in their, in their terms. And those kind of constructions are things like balancing an argument, provi- providing both sides of the story, not having a partisan slant, taking your own subjective opinion out of it. Now, all those things actually make for something that's more balanced and arguably more fair, which the regulator likes when the regulator, regulator talks about this kind of thing. They talk about impartiality, balance, fairness, accuracy... What I would argue as an academic is taking one step back. If you use those kind of devices to, to structure a story 
and you're saying, here's one side of the story, here's the other, I, the journalist, am not going to give you any kind of slant or, or anything like that. Are you actually reporting truthfully? Because the essence of truthfulness is actually sometimes in, in, in the greyness of a story, the complexity, the bits and pieces, the, the multivocal. Uh, in other words, it might be ten sides of the story. So sometimes those constructions may make the story accurate in the sense that the journalist won't get sued, but on the other hand, you might not be getting close, as close to the truth as you might like because you're constrained by a particular formula to report. But if you see what happens when that kind of reporting or that kind of, those kind of devices are taken away, for example, at Fox News, it's a different form of reporting, and I, I think I prefer the BBC version, which is or the British version, which is bound by those kind of constraints. And audience trust in the media is very much linked to those perceptions that our news is truthful because of the impartiality requirements. And you have to doubt also what you're seeing in documentary. As we said earlier, there's, there's never really... Everything is subjective. It has to be subjective. It's impossible to be objective. Every shot, every angle, every cut, every piece of sound laid over a film is there for a reason. Whether it's, whether it's subconscious or conscious, it's there for a reason. And, you, and we have to recognize that. And, in, and people are getting really, really good at that. You look at any, any DVD these days you buy. On the back of it, there's a bit of outtake. There's a making of or yeah. something like that. So you're going to watch those and you're going to go, oh, that's how they do it. Oh, that's, I know what that's all about. And I think that Hollywood films especially have taught us to know much, much more that this is, uh, this is a reenactment, this is staged, this is not the truth at all. God forbid if it was. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict regularly takes center stage on the news agenda, but reporting on this issue can sometimes be confusing. We asked our three commentators about their thoughts on media coverage of the conflict and the importance of being media literate when people engage with the reportage on this issue. Jackie Harrison. It's important that you're aware of how the media operate in, in, in those kind of very, very complex situations. But also, it does help if you have some knowledge of the, of, of the conflict yourself as well. So it's not just about... It's kind of personal responsibility to know a little bit about what's being reported. And I don't say that lightly because, actually, in terms of... If we're talking about news journalism, if you're watching a, a four-minute piece, with the best will in the world, even the most skilled journalists can't give you... The, the context for that story they can maybe report as fairly as they possibly can under the circumstances giving two sides of the story for example but to actually contextualize that in in you know all that complex history i mean there are many sides to the story how do you actually convey that so those sorts of stories are very difficult to tell and i think those are the precisely the kind of stories that rely on a different all sorts of levels of um, literacy and understanding and education from the audience the straightforward stories are not too bad, but the complex ones are. Bushia El Faro. Well, the ordinary people in Britain are very, very ill-informed. I mean, we face this as campaigners. And uh, if I may as well, we're talking about the media, if I may remind people by the very famous research that was carried out in the Glasgow University, in Glasgow University by Professor Craig Philo. He carried out a research on this specific issue, how... How is the event, are the events from from Palestine are covered in in the British media and the results were shocking. Out of 300 people, he selected randomly. Well, in in the, in the country in in the UK, only nine percent understood the background to the situation. One percent only understood the issue of water and the Israelis' uh, colonization and settlement program, which is 
focused and based on top of the uh, the most like most f- you know fruitful or fertile soils and, and underground aquifers and, and, and the theft of water, effective theft of water, only 1%. 35% of the British public thought we are fighting the Israelis, we are both equal sides, and we are actually occupying parts, parts in Israel, and they are occupying parts of Palestine, so we are fighting over, over land territory. Out of 4,617 uh, news lines, only 17 lines talked about the background, but the other... The other thousands of lines were just talking about what happened. So to the ordinary person, they don't know the background, and we see we, we see this. So it is it is a sad a, it is a sad picture. That's why that's why it is important it is important that the uh, the people uh, on the receiving end, as you described them, are are like literate when, when it comes to to the media and understand the background to to the to the uh, events or the the topics that they're uh, hearing about otherwise they wouldn't be able to challenge it Hussein Karimboy I don't know what, what what you want to call it or where it comes from but I know last year or 2007 I went and saw a guy who um appeared at the Palestinian Solidarity Group in Sheffield yeah. um a photographer from the AFP the Associated um Press photographer he was a proper yeah. photographer and they all told him he goes to Palestine, he goes to Iraq, he goes to hotspots and takes photographs. He goes, if you're in Palestine, we want photographs of a bit of war. A bit of bloodshed, a lot of bloodshed, a bit of, bit of misery and suffering. Take all you want. But he gets to have, have photographs here of weddings and birthdays and bar mitzvahs and, and f- fun stuff. We don't want to hear about it. We want to see films about suffering. We want to see photographs of suffering and death. So he said, well, to help with this, I'm going to do it my own way. And he managed to do an exhibition of photographs of weddings of um of just people playing in, in in Gaza despite the hell they have to live in of some some scrap of happiness you know yeah and these images of palestinians being hurt of them being violent of the association of of blood and and palestinians is promoted a lot in the media whether it's whatever reason i don't know but they seem to think that that's the way to push the message across and you're right it's the same old thing they never show positive imagery of Gaza ever or the West Bank ever it's always misery and it's death and it's a negative negative look and that affects your consciousness that affects how you perceive something before you even know a thing about it you look at a picture of someone of a kid crying on a rubble ridden street with blood in his head oh he must be a Palestinian kid or it must be a rock or something like that it could very well be Leeds for all we know you know it it, it it could very well be that we just we just have no idea, but we're just trained, and the repetition does make us like Pavlov's dog, you know, in the end when it comes to reading, reading media. Mushir al Farah is originally from Khan Yunis in the southern part of the Gaza Strip, and he constantly monitors media coverage of the Israeli Palestine conflict. We asked him for his own analysis of the coverage of the Israeli invasion of Gaza in January 2009. To be positive to start with, there is there is some some level of improvement in, in some areas like uh, newspapers like the Guardian and the Independent did did cover uh, some of what's happening in the Gaza Strip, but the mainstream media was still uh, obsessed by the issue of impartiality, and uh, we saw we saw this um, very clear when the BBC stopped that emergency disaster re- relief for us because. Uh, because they thought we want to be impartial, we want to be do, we don't want to be seen uh, as as um, uh, a media side which is taking sides. 
But then I, I for instance, within the, media, the same British media, we, we, we read Robert Fisk, who writes for The Independent, who talked about this very particular point. How can we be, how can we be impartial in a situation like this when people are being slaughtered by the fourth biggest army? And he did two comparisons, which I think are extremely, extremely um, important. He said, if we were in the 18th or the 19th century and we are covering the issue of slavery, would we go to a ship and give give the uh, captain of the slave ship the same coverage as the slaves themselves or being or being taken taken uh, for the rest of their lives as 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 her slaves and the other powerful comparison he did was uh, <coughs> was if if we were in a nazi camp and we covering the covering the suffer, suffering of the jewish people would we go and and give the nazi officers the same the same uh, room that we are giving to the uh, the Jewish victims of, 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 of that camp. I mean, very powerful, but we, there is this element. But the mainstream, unfortunately, hasn't been uh, as as uh, as positive or as, to be honest, as covering the facts on the ground as we expected. I'll give you one example. Again, we go back to the BBC. For instance, Israel stopped all international press from entering the Gaza Strip during the assault because they didn't want them to see. And the BBC did nothing despite the fact that there are so many qualified Palestinians who work for the BBC inside Gaza and they could have used them under the U, the BBC policy and rules. But they did not. But they did not. While in Zimbabwe, in Zimbabwe, when Mugabe stopped the media from going, the BBC sent other correspondents to work for them. So this is the this is the issues which we don't understand, and I think there is there is this element of fear of impartial of being accused of of being of taking sides. Uh, there is no real reason for it. I think I think what's happening in the uh, in Palestine, especially what happened in the Gaza Strip, was crystal clear. It was an assault on the entire population of, of of the area. It was an assault with the most sophisticated weapons. There was no need for it, none whatsoever. It was just. It's the crime that the Israelis committed, and um, in in their way of collectively punishing the Palestinians as they always do. Hussein Karimboy. Well, this is exactly what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. It's political. If it comes from, the, if a story like this comes from Israel, no one's really going to question it that much. And if they are, they won't get a lot of media. They won't get a lot of press coverage. They won't really be taken seriously. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But there are a lot of people out there who look at that and go, "Wow, we have got to. This is this can't be true. This can't be right." Everybody is saying, "Eyewitness accounts from Gaza have these kind of. Um, they have an alternate story, you know, and it takes time for that to to come out." But um, they, their their trick was to not let journalists in at all. I I don't rely personally on on what I read, and I read a lot as other people and listen to news bulletins and watch TV, but I also found people on the ground, friends on the ground. For instance, I was in, in contact with people in the Jabalia refugee camp, three or four friends, all the time, basically for two reasons, to ask about their well-being, because they were like, one of them lost their house and their family uh, still actually displaced. But the second thing is to ask them about confirmation of some, some stories we, we hear about. For instance, on the first day of the attack, when those five sisters died, next to this mosque which was hit by the Israeli jet fighters F-16. I just wanted to know the story because uh, I do want to rely on, for instance, Arab press that could be sympathetic or whatever uh, because I'm here, I'm, I'm here as an activist. I, um, it's my duty to talk to people and give talks and whatever. 
So I, I speak to these people on the ground. I speak to members of my family back in Khan Yunis as well, relatives and friends, and I ask about specific incidents. So this is the source which confirms to me many of the news and not only confirm it, but like elaborate on it and obviously give me the bigger picture, which we don't see. With the sad fact is that uh, people saw very little of what happened in the Gaza. They just saw, they just saw the most horrific, most shocking stories. But for instance, the story of my, my distant relative, uh, Az Din, he's 13 year old, and he went on the bicycle with Abdul Ghani, his, uh, his cousin, uh, after sunset, and an unmanned drone launched an attack on that bicycle for no reason and, and killed Abdullah instantly and now uh, Abdul Ghani is still paralyzed since the incident. The ability to create media has become an important part of the modern definition of media literacy. In addition to monitoring media coverage on Palestine, Bashir Al-Farah has made a documentary film about the situation in the Gaza Strip in 2004. He also writes political and social articles in Arabic for Al-Quds newspaper. We asked him why he thinks it's important for people to create their own media on issues they feel passionate about. I think it's important for people who have experience to create something, to, to, give, to share this experience with people. I mean... For instance, the reason behind us producing films in Sheffield was, was extremely Sheffield-related because things that have happened around Sheffield community and the people in Sheffield who support Palestine. And so making the first film which we made from the Gaza, which was called Voices Through the Rubble, was like a film that everybody in these circles wanted to see because it's their work. It was, it was not only about the devastation in the Gaza Strip, the collective punishment in, 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 in form of this collective destruction, demolition of thousands of houses, workshops, schools, even mosques, the killing of people, the raising of agricultural land. But then again, we give the hope to people through our projects that despite all this, people are still living and we have these children projects from Sheffield which we support. So the importance of this film was extremely, extremely there because we give the people of Sheffield a chance to see the background to it, but again to say to them, this is what you're doing in, in the Gaza Strip. This is what I call Little Sheffield in, in, in the Gaza Strip. So this was a powerful film, although it was like video diaries, you know, put together in, in a nice film, uh, uh, 33 minutes, but it was very powerful, very powerful. And it was shown in Sheffield possibly 13, 14 times, and still being shown, and it was shown in other 11 cities in uh, but as I said, it, it's not just a documentary we go and you don't know anybody there, but it's a documentary that the people knew, know, and some of them featured in it. This is extremely important. The other thing about creating things is, is as I said, if you come across an experience and you, have, you, you, you can write about it, it's very important to write about it. For instance, uh, with the recent demonstrations in, uh, in, uh, in support of Gaza, my latest article was about these demonstrations and how we can improve them and how we can remove anything that is sectarian that is for instance uh, anti anything similar any small group of people for instance we emphasize in our activities that we are anti-zionist anti-israeli state not anti-jewish people so the, the emphasis of this as 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 a writer i need to write to people my experience that i think that what the public should see us in these demonstrations is just doing you know, demonstration in support of human rights, 
against injustice, in support of freedom, against war crimes, against crimes against humanity, against occupation, and not against certain group of people, which some you know some elements of some demonstrations was like uh, as a result of what happened in Gaza, took some side which was a little bit sectarian. So it's extremely important that people people who are campaigning whatever share this their views and ideas with, the, with other people. You've been listening to a program on the importance of media literacy with analysis and commentary from Jackie Harrison, Professor of Public Communication and Head of Department of Journalism Studies at the University of Sheffield. Hussein Karimboy, Film Programmer for the Sheffield Documentary Film Festival. And Mashir Al-Farah, Chair of the Sheffield Palestine Solidarity Campaign. This is a collaborative work for Sheffield Live. 93.2 FM with contributions from Irini Apostolidou, Fabian Beckett, Alan Fransman, Paul Gregory, and Harry Stevens. If you'd like to comment on this program or develop your own media literacy skills by making radio programs for Sheffield Live, please email us on info at sheffieldlive.org. We look forward to hearing from you. You have been listening to Mind Labs, Sheffield Live's open creative slot. Join us next time for something more which isn't the same. The same. The same.